The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. We're actually going to hear the final words of the preacher to us. If you'll remember, this book is bookended with a narrator kind of providing a preface and providing a conclusion. Um, and so the first sermon was the narrator kind of providing that introduction. Uh, and then the sermon next week that Dan's going to preach for us, we're going to hear the narrator's conclusion on all that we've heard. But this morning, we're going to hear the final words of the preacher to us. And I think uh, um, or I'm just excited to share his final parting thoughts for us on what a life filled with meaning and purpose looks like. And before diving in, Sharon is going to read, uh, read our passage and pray for us. And again, we're going to be starting in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the days draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, the desire, fa desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and, and for this particular passage of scripture. Would you now take this seed of your word and sow it deeply into the soil of our hearts? Please keep the enemy from snatching it away. Please help it to take root so that when persecution comes, we won't fall away. And so that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of our riches won't cause it to be unfruitful. Please, Holy Spirit, prepare the soil of our hearts so that it will be sown in good soil and bear good fruit, 30, 60, or 100-fold, to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in, uh, 
in, in Ernest Hemingway's uh, fantastic novel, The, the Sun Also Rises, uh, the title taken here from the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. Uh, one of the scenes earlier in the book, early in the book, Jake, uh, the main character, is approached by one of his friends, Robert, at a nightclub in Paris. Um, and it seems in a moment of uh, anxious, existential angst, Robert leans on the bar, leans close to Jake, and he says, listen, Jake, don't you ever get the feeling that your life, that all your life is going by and you're not really living it? Do you realize that you've lived nearly half the time you've, you have to live already? For whatever reason here, Robert is struck by the reality that his life is nearly halfway over and he hasn't been living it. He hasn't been taking advantage of his life. Have you have you ever felt that way? Perhaps can you relate with Robert that no matter how far into life's journey you are, sitting here this morning, you feel like life is just going by and you're not really living it. You're not really experiencing life to the full. Well, I think that the truth is that this is something that we can all relate with on, on one level or another, no matter our age. I think we've all experienced that feeling of dread as we think about our life, as we look back over the last six months, six years, or 60 years, perhaps, of our lives. And in the pit of our stomach, we just get this feeling that we've just been along for the ride and life is passing us by. Well, as we turn to our text this morning, this same feeling here has overtaken the preacher as he has come face to face with the realization that his life is almost over and he's failed to truly live it. As we've seen over and over in the first 11 chapters of this book, the preacher has been searching. He's been pondering what the meaning of life is. He's been questioning, is there any meaning in this life and here it's almost like a ton of bricks lands on him and he realizes that he has been so busy trying to figure life out that he has completely missed living life. He's been so trying, he's been so busy trying to make sense of everything that he has completely missed out on all the goodness and meaning that life has to offer. Well, aware of all that he has missed out on, the preacher doesn't want us to suffer the same fate. He doesn't want us to miss out on the meaning and goodness that life has to offer. And so here in his final message to us, he wants to leave us with the essential ingredients for living the good life. Just like some of you might consider beans and peppers to be essential ingredients for making a good chili, Although I do think an argument can be made about the necessity of beans being an ingredient in a good chili. As the preacher looks at what are the ingredients that go into a good life? What are the ingredients that make up the truly authentic life as Augustine calls it? He boils them down to two. And here in our passage, he gives us two essential ingredients, two necessary ingredients for living a life of meaning and purpose. And as we work through our text, we're gonna see each one in turn. The first ingredient for living the good life, the preacher tells us, is to enjoy life now. Starting in verse seven, the preacher says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. 
In other words, here the preacher is saying, it is good to be alive. It is good for your eyes to see the sun. It is a pleasure to be alive. It is a delight to live. And here, as we hear the preacher saying this, it's, it's not necessarily a given for the preacher to say this, right? We've been walking with him over the last 11 chapters of this book, and he's been quite the Debbie Downer. He's been quite, as he's looked at life, it seems that his glass has been half empty on life. And so here, as he reaches the end of his story, as he comes to the conclusion, as he realizes, what do I want to leave my listeners with? He wants them to know that, yes, life is not perfect, but being alive is good. Light is sweet. It's pleasant to be alive. In fact, as we see in verse 8, he calls us to rejoice all the years of our life. This word here translated rejoice here in verse 8 and in verse 9, it carries the idea of enjoying life, of, of living life to the full. The preacher is saying, no matter how many years of life you have, I'm commanding you to enjoy them all. You see, the preacher doesn't want us to take one day of our life for granted. He doesn't want us living for the weekend. He doesn't want us living for vacation. He doesn't want us living for retirement. He wants us to see and savor each and every day. And so he tells us to enjoy life. No matter how many years you have, enjoy them all. Whatever the day holds, enjoy them. And here for the preacher, we see that this even includes the hard days, the hard seasons of life. Notice what he says in the second half of verse eight. He tells us to enjoy, no matter how many years of life you have, enjoy them all. And then he says, but remember that the days of darkness will be many. See, for the preacher, he's, he's here living in this tension between calling us to enjoy life and acknowledging that the days of darkness will be many. Here, the, the days of darkness most likely refer to the onset of aging, to the aging process, and to the ultimate experience of death. And here in verse 8, he's saying that there will be many days of darkness. And so knowing that these days of growing old are coming, that the day of your inevitable death is coming, he's saying, enjoy life now. Enjoy life right now while you have it today. Don't waste any time. Enjoy life right now. Well, from his own experience here, it seems like the preacher knows that this temptation to take life for granted is especially high for those who are younger. Those I like to include myself in that category here. And so starting in verse 9, he singles out all of the youth and specifically calls them to enjoy life. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, rejoice, O young man or young woman. Rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Do you notice that, that repetition, young, young, youth? Three times in this passage here, he's, he's focusing on those who are young. That's because he doesn't want us to miss this. And so this morning, I just want to, to encourage all of you middle schoolers, all of you high schoolers, you college-age young professionals, all of us millennials and Gen Zers, as they call them. Here in this verse, in verse 9, the preacher's talking to us, and he is commanding us to enjoy life 
now. You see, it seems the preacher knows that as George Bernard Shaw is supposed to have said, that often youth is wasted on the young. The preacher knows as he looks back on his life that youth can be wasted on the young. Particularly, it seems, the preacher knows that there are two temptations that face, that, that prevent youth from truly enjoying life right now. And maybe you can relate with these. These, these two temptations seem to be the temptation of assuming and the temptation of postponing. First, when we're young, we can fail to enjoy life by just assuming that we're owed tomorrow. We just assume that we're owed tomorrow, we're owed the day after that, the week after that. And the preacher is telling us that if we just assume we're owed today, if we, assumed we're, if we assume that we're owed the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of our life, then we are going to miss out on the miracle of our existence. We are going to miss out on the wonder of being alive, and we're going to fail to enjoy life as God has called us to if we assume that we just have the next X number of years of our lives promised to us. Preacher doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to take any day for granted. For granted, Instead, he wants us to, to wake up saying the words of the psalmist in Psalm 118, that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Whether we are young or old, that is what the preacher wants us to do. He wants us to face each day rejoicing and being glad in the day, knowing that it is another day of life that God has given to us. So not only that, not only that we assume that we're owed tomorrow, but also when we're young, the preacher knows that we are constantly tempted to postpone our enjoyment of life. We can tell ourselves that we're, we're gonna truly enjoy life when we get our first phone, or when we get our license, or when we get our first car, when we get our first job, when we graduate from high school, when we graduate from college, when we finally first get, when we finally get our real first job, whatever it is, if we live our lives always waiting for the next big thing to come around, waiting to hit that next plateau in life, the preacher's telling us we are going to miss out on life. We are going to fail to enjoy life now. And so here the preacher focuses on those of us who are young and he calls us to enjoy life now. Rejoice in the days of your youth. The preacher here doesn't just want us to enjoy our lives, but he is eager for us to enjoy our lives. And so starting here in verse nine, he shows us how we are to enjoy our lives. He shows us what this looks like. In verse nine, he tells us, he's unpacking, look, this is what it looks like to rejoice in life. This is what it looks like to enjoy your life. He says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Here in the Bible, the, the heart and the eyes, those are the, those are the organs of desire. <laughs> the heart and our eyes, they're the, they're the controlling center of who we are. It's, a, it's what defines us in life. It's what directs us and drives us and motivates us in our lives, our hearts and our eyes, all of our all of our thoughts, all of our feelings and our actions, they flow from our hearts. And here the preacher is showing us that the way to enjoy life is to follow our hearts. It's to do what we love. He tells us here, walk in the ways of your hearts. These are commands. Now hearing this, your little heresy alarm might be going off. 
You might be thinking, you might be thinking to yourself, is the Bible really saying that Disney's been right all along? That the key to living a happy life is to follow your heart? Well, I think yes and no. As the preacher goes on to say here in the same verse, he says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Here, the preacher is not giving us a blank check to do whatever we want with our lives. This call to, to do, to walk in the ways of your heart, to do whatever your eye desires, that's, that's not a blank check to just do whatever you want in life. That's not giving permission to do things that will harm you or do things that will harm, your, or that will harm others. No, here in this passage, this, the preacher gives us this warning of coming judgment to put guardrails on our enjoyment. The preacher really, really wants us to enjoy life, but he really, really wants us to pursue enjoying life in, thing, in doing things that will actually satisfy, in doing things that will actually bring pleasure in our lives. And so he gives us this guardrail and he says, enjoy life, but remember, judgment is coming. And so therefore, pursue judgment, pursue, or not pursue judgment, pursue enjoyment, pursue the good life in light of my words. Because the preacher knows, it seems he's experienced something, he's tasted something of the fact that the good life comes from living according to God's word. It seems that loving God and loving others is the, the true road, the true path to enjoying life now. The preachers tasted something of that, and so he calls us to enjoy life, to view the good life as walking in God's words, walking according to his, work, to his words. Um, and so here he reminds us of God's judgment so that we will pursue living, we will pursue enjoyment in living according to his words. And so here, the preacher here, he's telling us as he talks about our hearts, our hearts and our eyes, as he talks about our desires here, he's telling us that when we imagine what the good life is like, the, the picture that he wants to come to mind for us is the picture of a life that is living faithful to God's word, one that is defined by loving God and loving others. He further unpacks what this good life looks like, what the call to enjoyment looks like in verse 10, where he tells us to get rid of any emotional or physical pain that threaten to steal joy in our lives. Here he says that we are to remove vexation. That, that, that can be read as remove any emotional stress, remove any anxiety from your life, anything that's going to steal your joy, take that away. And he says, put away pain from your body here. And the reason that we're to do this, perhaps here still speaking to the young, he calls us to remove emotional pain, to remove pain from our bodies because he knows that the days of our youth and that the prime of our life don't last forever. See that there in verse 10, it says that it's fleeting, that the days of youth and the prime of our life are fleeting. And so he tells us to enjoy life now, remove anything that's going to take away from enjoying the good life in God. Do that now because the days are coming when you're not going to be able to do that. Something some of you know all too well and something that many of us are learning more and more each day, that the days are coming when you will no longer be able to remove pain from your life, 
when you will no longer be able to remove vexation from your life. And so the preacher tells us, while you can, enjoy life now. So how are you doing here? Preacher's telling us here the first key ingredient for living the good life is to enjoy life now. I think youth, I just want to encourage you here that the preacher especially has you in mind as you look on your season in life right now, as you look where you are, just hear the words of the preacher and don't assume tomorrow, don't postpone your enjoyment, but, in, but enjoy your life now. Don't let it pass you by. And as we've seen time and time again, the key to enjoying life is to see everything as gift. We will truly enjoy life as we come to see that all is gift, that all good is gift from God. Every day, each friendship we have, every sunrise we see, every meal we eat, each and every pleasure that we experience in this life, they are all gifts from God. We didn't earn a single one of them. We didn't merit or achieve any of them, but they're all gifts of grace. And so God says, enjoy life now. And it's important here, as I mentioned earlier, to note that the preacher here is not saying that all of life is good, right? The preacher here has talked openly and honestly about the days of darkness that are coming. He knows the time is coming when you won't be able to remove pain and suffering from your life. But here it seems, though, that he's showing us that we can live a good and meaningful life. We can live a life of purpose here, that in the midst of the not good in life, that we can still experience enjoyment in the good that we have, no matter what that looks like here in this fallen world. So that's the first ingredient to living the authentically good life. He's calling us here to enjoy life now. But turning to chapter 12, we see the preacher's second ingredient. And in many ways here, we see that this is the main ingredient to living the good life, and that is to remember your creator now. In chapter 12, verse 1, the preacher calls us, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, as we hear this word remember, it's important for us to keep in mind that the preacher is not simply talking about mental recall. Here in 12.1, he's not just calling us to think about or to call God to mind, um, just simply in our mind. He's not just saying, hey, just, just every once in a while, think about God, your creator. No, when the Bible talks about, calls us to remember, it always involves some sort of action, some sort of response to what we're remembering. I mean, we see this all throughout Scripture. I just think of 1 Samuel chapter 1, where we read that God remembers Hannah. In that moment, you may remember, Hannah's been praying for a child, and in this moment, God remembers Hannah. Now, what would we think of God if his remembering was just in the middle of doing some task? He just thought, oh, yeah, Hannah, I, I remember her. And then he just went back to what he was doing. That, that wouldn't speak very highly of God remembering, but no, in 1 Samuel 1, as we see that God remembers Hannah, what does he do? He acts on her behalf. He, he answers her prayer for a child, and she becomes pregnant. So, so prayer, or remembering here involves action. It involves a response. I mean, just think about, for me, exam, for example, if, if on May 10th, Donna and, and my anniversary, if I were to simply think to myself, I wake up, it's May 10th, and I just think to myself, oh, today is May 10th. Today is my anniversary. 
And I just went on with the rest of my day. I didn't do anything, didn't say anything to her. I mean, would I have truly remembered our anniversary? I mean, in some sense, you could say, sure, in the way we use the word today, sure, I remembered it because I just remembered, hey, May 10th is my anniversary, but I wouldn't have remembered it biblically speaking because biblically speaking, remembering my anniversary would have involved making plans for childcare. It would have involved buying a dozen flowers, making reservations for supper, writing a thoughtful card. That's what remembering my anniversary would have meant, would have involved. And here, that's what the preacher is calling us to. He's calling us to remember our creator, not just mentally assenting to the fact that we have a creator, but he's calling us to live each and every single day of our lives in light of the fact that we have a creator, that we have a maker. He's calling us here to live a God-centered life, life that doesn't just mentally assent to the fact that God exists, but to live with God as the supreme and central reality of our lives. In short here, to remember our creator is to acknowledge that we are not our own, but that we belong to him. We truly remember our creator when we live in the light of the fact that we did not create ourselves. We are not the creator of everything there is, everything that exists, but God is the one who has created all things and he is the one to whom we belong. This is the main ingredient in living the good life. It's something we must do if we want our lives to be filled with goodness and meaning and purpose. We must remember our maker. And you'll notice here that he doesn't just invite us to remember, but here again, he tells us when we are to remember our creator. In verse one, he says that we are to remember our creator in the days of our youth. And it seems like here, starting in verse one, there's this, this fire that's been lit under the preacher. There's this, this urgency that he has now to impress upon us how important it is to remember our creator because three times in the next six verses, he's gonna say the word before. He's telling us to remember your creator before. We see that in verse one, in verse two, in verse six. He doesn't want us to fail to remember. He doesn't want us to forget our, our creator. And so giving us three different images, three different illustrations here, he is impressing upon us the urgency and the importance of remembering our creator right now, of living in light of the fact that we belong to him. In verse one, he says, remember your creator before the evil days come and the years draw near with which we will say, I have no pleasure in them. This is the first reason why we need to remember our creator in our youth, why we need to remember our creator now. And that is because the evil days are coming the evil days here, not referring to morally evil day, but just referring to days of physical difficulty. There are days of pain and injury and suffering that just come with growing old. Those days are coming, the preacher says. The days are coming when we will wake up and we will say, I have no pleasure in these days. He's saying those days are coming, so remember your creator now. In verse two, he gets poetic and he starts using a bunch of different images to describe the process of getting older here. 
Starting in verse two, we have another before statement. He tells us that we are to remember our creator before the sun and the lights and the moon and the stars are darkened. You'll remember back in 11 chapter seven that we opened up, the preacher says, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Life is good. It is good to see the sun. But here in 12.2, it seems like these lights, all of these things that give light to us, the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of them are going away And he comp- as he compares old age to a season of darkness. He says the sun and the light and the moon and the stars, they're all darkened. And here he's saying, using this image of of the clouds even returning after the rain, he's saying, look, as you get older in these days of darkness that are coming, there are going to be moments where the sun doesn't even shine in after the rain. The clouds and the rain come, and you are hoping for a break to come. And guess what happens after the clouds and the rain come? More clouds and more rain comes. The preacher is saying here that as you get older, life is just simply one setback after another. When those days come, he says, the preacher is telling us it is going to be hard for us to orient our life around God. It's going to be hard to remember him. And so he urges us to lay that foundation before it's too late, to remember our creator in the days of our youth. And here we see that the sun and the moon going away, the preacher's just getting started. Because as he continues, he shows us that, guess what? Things are going to get a lot worse. (laughs) It says, while there are different, because starting here in verses 3 and 5, we see this image of what I think the best way to read this is just of a house that is just breaking down. And he's going to use this image of this house that is breaking down, and he's going to compare that to what is going to happen to your bodies in the aging process. Starting in verse 3, he says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Here it's an image of, of the uncontrolled shaking of the hands. The hands that once cared for the body, the, the hands that once took care of the body, they're now going to tremble. They're now going to shake uncontrollably. As he continues, he says that the strong men are bent here, most likely an image to once strong legs carrying the body that are now buckling under the weight of our bodies. Here the grinders cease because they are few. Here are these grinders referring to our teeth. Here he's speaking to the loss and the decay of one's teeth in old, in old age. You got to remember he's He's writing here, before modern dentistry here, there were no implants to be had. He's saying, for the preacher, he's saying, the days are coming when you're going to lose your teeth. The grinding will be few. The grinders will cease because they are few. And as he rounds out verse three here, he says, and those who look through the windows are dimmed here, referring to the failing eyesight of old age. Are you getting excited yet? All of, all of you youth, are you looking forward to growing old? He's saying, remember your creator now, because guess what? It gets worse. Starting in verse 4 here, he highlights the cruel paradox that in old age, you will lose your hearing. That's what he, that's what he means when he says that the doors of the street are shut. You're, you're not going to be able to hear the noise outside But the cruel paradox here is that even though your hearing is going to go, for some reason you will start waking up 
at the slightest noise in the middle of the night. He says here, as one rises up at the sound of a bird. In verse five, he continues, the almond blossoms will bloom. It's this, this imagery of these almond blossoms or these white flowers referring to, referring to our hair turning white and graying. He's saying desire is failing. Our desires to, to live life are going to fail. The grasshopper dragging those who were once hopped through life now would be this image of this grasshopper just dragging its way along. This is what is coming, the preacher knows. And so he says, remember your creator before these things come. You want to live a good, authentic life. Remember your creator now because the days are coming when it's going to get hard. In verses six and seven, we see the final before. And here he calls us to remember our creator before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl, bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Here are these three images, all referring to the final reality of death, as the preacher makes clear in verse 7, as he says, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. We'll remember to, we are called to remember our creator now in the days of our youth because the days are coming when unless Christ returns for each and every one of us, there will be a day when we will no longer be able to remember our creator. Now you might be wondering here, why in the world does he spend six and a half verses going on and on about this process of aging and dying? Why does he spend so much time in his final message to us highlighting the reality of aging and the inevitable reality of death? And I think it's because he wants us to feel the weight of this command to remember our creator now. He wants us to do it right now before it is too late because he knows that as life goes on, there are going to be many, many things in life that are going to make it harder for us to keep God as the central reality of our lives. And so he's saying, remember God now. He knows that just like he was, that you and I are constantly tempted to forget God. And those temptations to forget God grow stronger and stronger with each year of our lives. He knows that we are tempted to live our lives with no mention or reference to God, to live our lives and to make our decisions as if we belong to ourselves, as if we were the ultimate authority over our lives. And he knows from, and he knows from experience that this only leads to missing out on all the good that life has to offer. And so here, knowing our tendency to forget and knowing the absolute necessity of remembering he calls us here to remember our creator in the days of our youth. Before we land this plane here, I just want to briefly unpack how we are to do that. He's made it very clear we are to remember our creator, but what does that look like? What does it look like to, on a practical level in our day-to-day -day life, remember our creator? Well, certainly there are many, many ways that we can do this, many, many ways I'm sure you are doing this. I just want to highlight two primary ways that we can remember our creator. And the first is that we remember our creator when we live in communion with him. We remember our creator when we live in communion, when we live in relationship with him. 
By communion, that's what I mean. I mean, I mean living in relationship with him. Um, and and we, we do this, we, we're able to cultivate this communion with God through our spiritual disciplines as we, as we read and reflect on God's word, as we hear from God and as we talk with him in prayer, as we come to church on Sunday mornings, as we actively engage in the worship services, singing songs to God and singing songs to one another, as we hear God's word preached, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate baptisms, remembering our own baptism, these are all means that God has given to us to remember him. Isn't that, that so kind of God to give us these practices, to give us his word, to give us his spirit where we can commune with him in prayer, to give us this context of our Sunday morning services where week in and week out, we can come to be reminded of our creator because as C.S. Lewis knew all too well, as he said, he said that we have to be continually reminded of what we believe he says, because none of our beliefs will remain alive in the mind, but they must be fed. I love that. Lewis is telling us that none of our beliefs, we're not going to remember anything on our own. We need to be continuously reminded of it. That we need to feed our memories. And the way that we do that is by living in communion with God, by consistently practicing these disciplines um, reading our Bibles and prayer, coming to church and many others, because those are vital. Those are essential to remembering God. I mean, if you're anything like me, if you are spending time in God's word, if you are spending time in prayer, if you're regularly coming here, it's hard enough do, to remember God doing all of those things that it's almost hopeless to have any attempt or for it to be a reality to remember God if you're not doing any of those things. And so, he, and so here, one of the ways we can remember God is by living in communion with him, by spending time with him, by cultivating that relationship. But I think it's important for us to remember, too, that remembering isn't an individual task. Because secondly, we can remember God as we live in community with one another. God knows how prone we are to forget. He knows how prone our hearts are to wander and in his kindness here, he has given us a community to help us remember. He's given us a community here of sisters and brothers here in this church who are able to come around us, and as Eugene Peterson says, who are able to speak God into our lives. Because so often in the good times and the bad times, we are tempted to forget God and we need to be reminded of him. We need others to come alongside us and to speak God into those seasons of our lives. In the good times when things are going well, we need others to, to speak God into our lives, reminding us that all good gifts we have come from God. We need others reminding us that there's nothing that we have that we didn't receive as gift. So don't boast, but give thanks to God. And it's especially important in hard times that we need others to speak God into our life, to remind us of God's presence with us, to remind us of his promises to us in his word, and to remind us of his power for us. I mean, I had the privilege of, this, of experiencing this yesterday as I was at breakfast with a couple guys from church who, who were just able to remind me that God is with me right now. One of the brothers just reminded me that God is close to the lowly. I needed, the, I needed to be reminded 
by others in this community that God is close to the lowly. And, and I think the truth is uh, true for many of you that we need others to remind us of God in the midst of the difficult times. I think as, as Donna and I have just been walking through a season of life that's felt overwhelming at times, it's been, it's been helpful for us to remind each other and to, to take things one day at a time, to, to not get too far ahead of ourselves. And we're able to remind each other that God is giving us the grace we need for today. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about next year. God's giving us grace for today. It's just been such a, a pleasure to have that constant reminder because that's what we need. And so Grace Church, let us be a community that is constantly reminding one another of our creator, constantly speaking God into each other's life, reminding us of what we are so quick to forget. But there's one last just amazing reality here is that as we come to our passage, as we realize that the preacher is calling us to remember our creator, as you and I come and gather today, we don't the, the calling to us isn't just to remember our creator, but the calling to us is to remember our redeemer. Because as we come this morning, we don't come as those who are aware that God has made us. God is the one who's created us and everything in the universe. But we know that God, the one we're remembering, is also our redeemer. He is the one who through his death on the cross died to save us from our sins, died to restore us to a relationship with him. He is the one who who died, who's going to restore all things together. And so we can know him as redeemer because when we remember our creator, we are remembering the one who remembers us. We are remembering the one who remembers us still today, the one who is constantly acting for us, for our good. If there's any here who... If you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, if you're here just checking church out, perhaps if you're here and you're a youth, you've grown up in this church and, and you've heard these things, but they've just been mentally assenting truths for you. They've just been things that you've thought of, but things that have never, that have never shaped your life. This morning, I just want to encourage you to turn to Christ, to see him this morning as your creator and as your redeemer, the one who is able through his spirit, through his life, death, and resurrection to fill your life with meaning and purpose as you come to see that the good life can only be found in relationship with God. It can only be found in enjoying life in him. It can only be found in remembering who he is and who he is for us as not just our creator, but as the one who is our redeemer and the one who is remembering us right now. So these are the final words of the preacher as one who has felt that his life has just been going by, but he hasn't been living it. Here he's been showing us how we can live the good life, how we can live our lives to the full, live a life of meaning and purpose. And here he's showing us that to do that we need these two essential ingredients. We need to enjoy life now, and we need to remember God, our creator and our redeemer. I want to release the ushers to prepare the Lord's Supper and invite the band up. And I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that in the midst of life, in the midst of all of the temptations that we have to forget God, all the temptations we have to have life just pass us by, pray that the Spirit would just meet us 
would, would remind us of ways we can enjoy him and ways that we can remember him. Well, Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness to us in your word. Lord, we thank you for this passage here in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, where we are reminded, Lord, that you are for us, that you desire our good. And Lord, so you show us how to do that. When you call us to enjoy life now, Lord, you call us to remember you because you know that the good life is found only in you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that in these moments, you would just bring to mind, Lord, anything that is preventing us from doing that, that you would just bring to mind, Lord, ways where we can grow in remembering you all the more that we might enjoy life all the more. And Holy Spirit, just fill us with such great faith Lord, for who you are, that we might be reminded that you are the one who remembers us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.